Today, we jump into one of Christianity's most divisive questions. We discuss the problem of biblical translations, and then we discover why Muslims, they don't have the same problem. We look at the weaknesses in different types of interpretation, and I cite Billy Graham and Bishop Spong in the same podcast, all on the way to answering the question, and how should we approach the Bible? Welcome to the Sky Pilot Podcast that explores questions of faith, spirituality, and religion. I'm Dan Matthews, and I don't have all the answers, but I do enjoy the questions. Welcome to the podcast where every question is an invitation into a spiritual quest, and you're invited along for the journey. There are questions that have the power, when asked, to be stunningly divisive. These are questions that suddenly reveal people's deep-seated, entrenched belief systems. You know, really difficult questions like, should a toilet paper roll be placed so that the sheets come from the front or the back? Does ketchup belong on a hot dog? Do beans belong in chili? Should everyone be using the Oxford comma? Is it pronounced gif or jif? Does pineapple belong on pizza? Oh, and should we approach the Bible literally or figuratively? First, I think a little history is in order. Fundamentalism, as we understand it and experience it in the United States at least, is a fairly recent development. Fundamentalism has arisen not just in Christianity, but in Judaism, Islam, and I'm no expert, but I'm sure other faiths as well. Karen Armstrong, the author, in her book, The Battle for God, says that fundamentalism has developed in every major world religion, and her explanation of fundamentalism is that it is not a regrounding in something ancient, but instead it is a fairly modern movement that arose in response to the rise of liberalism. Within Western Christianity, this new movement began to place more and more emphasis not just on Scripture, but that Scripture not be influenced by modern thoughts of the day. Scripture should be read and understood as if it exists, in essence, in a vacuum separate and apart from the world around it. This led to a growing emphasis on its literal interpretation. One should not look to Scripture and ask, how does this passage inform us today uniquely based on what's going on in the culture around us, but one should interpret every passage by reading the words as they offer their meaning at their most basic grammatical level. The only context allowed in this is the context of the original author, but even that has severe limits. Literalism intends for the reader of Scripture to take the words at their face value. Now, there are some problems with this form of interpretation, as there are, let me say clearly here, as there are with any and all forms of interpretation. They all have their weaknesses. The first and most obvious is that any reader of Scripture who approaches Scripture to read the words through the lens of a literal interpretation is immediately hindered by language itself. Scripture is written in languages that most of us who wish to interpret it, well, we don't read or understand those languages. So we are placed in the awkward situation of literally interpreting a translation of the original words. Now, just as an interesting aside, Muslims have addressed this problem by not acknowledging translations. I was sitting in a group of people one time who were asking questions of a Muslim about their faith, about the Quran, 
And one of the questioners announced rather proudly that she had read the Quran in its entirety. The man who was answering our questions said, Did you read it in Arabic? She said, No, I read it in English. He then said, I mean you no offense, but for a Muslim, the words cannot be separated from the language. God didn't just give the gift of the Quran. God gave the Quran in a specific, divinely inspired language for us. To a Muslim, either you read it in Arabic or you didn't read the Quran. We Christians read scripture in many languages, and each of those translations brings the shading and influences of their own words and grammar. I went to seminary with someone who'd lived in Japan for a while, and she said it was fascinating living in Japan to read scripture in Japanese because some of the biblical stories have different texture, even different nuanced meaning when read through the lens of Japanese language and culture. Just as no doubt English and American culture brings its own shading, no matter how much I wish that it might not do so. I read a book many years ago by the Episcopal Church's most famous and certainly most controversial bishop at the time, Bishop Spong. The title of the book is Rescuing the Bible from Fundamentalism. Interestingly, as I said earlier, fundamentalism developed as a response to liberalism. As this movement within Christianity developed, liberal Christians also began to change in response to growing fundamentalism. Matter of fact, as the fundamentalist part of Christianity became more vocal about Scripture, Spong says that much of the liberal wing of Christianity began to seemingly distance itself from Scripture. When fundamentalists cited chapter and verse to prove their point, liberal Christians, not wanting to be associated with their Bible-thumping counterparts as they saw it, began to talk about Jesus in vague generalities rather than biblical specifics. Interestingly, Bishop Spong, who was certainly very liberal himself, said it was time for liberals to reclaim Scripture as equally theirs and not abandon it to the fundamentalists. His point was that liberal Christians should study the Bible and not be afraid of grounding their theology and teachings on those scriptural words. So Christianity is now seemingly divided between those who strive to interpret the Bible literally or figuratively. And one of my least favorite words I've heard used when describing Scripture is poetry. Often those on the liberal end of the spectrum will say the Bible shouldn't be read literally, but should be understood as poetry. And I will tell you, I truly dislike the use of the word poetry in this sense. Everyone I've ever heard say this means... Poetry is amorphous and can be without meaning. Poetry is intended as a blank canvas upon which can be placed any meaning that the reader desires. First, that just isn't accurate as to the role of Scripture. It isn't a blank canvas. It is intended to challenge, make us think, and even stir us to change. Second, it's also not fair to poetry. Every professor I've had who was teaching us to read poetry would have said the power of poetry is that it has the ability to speak a deeper and more profound truth. I don't know a single English professor under whom I studied who would agree with the idea that poetry is something that has no meaning and waits for the reader to bring meaning to it. So here we are caught between two predominant ways of approaching Scripture. And to me, those of us on both sides of this debate Well, we've created a false dichotomy. Let me ask you a question. First, think of the most powerful, 
meaningful, thought-provoking movie you have ever watched. Maybe something like Schindler's List. When you purchased the ticket for the movie, did you decide on a way of interpretation to be used when watching the movie, or did you just go and allow yourself to be affected and shaped as the movie developed? You don't pick a mode of interpretation of movies, at least I assume you don't. I certainly don't. I just go and let the movie wash over me and see what I experience after I have watched it. Likewise, I don't think we should approach Scripture with a single approach, a single way of how we're going to allow ourselves to interact with it. I tend to think that there are times in which all of us should use both forms of interpreting Scripture. I was teaching a Bible study a number of years ago, and we were reading from the Gospel of Matthew, the 19th chapter, and I'm going to read you the passage that we were studying that day. Then someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. Also, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, I've kept all these. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you wish to be perfect, go sell your possessions, give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the young man heard this word, he went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Now, after we read this passage aloud in class, someone in the class asked me this, What does the original language say? I wasn't sure what was being asked, so I asked her to clarify. And she said, Well, Jesus says, sell all you have, give to the poor, and come and follow me. It, it doesn't make any sense. Clearly, the true teachings have been lost, have been lost somewhere through the ages. This is a passage that we don't want to take literally because, well, it's so difficult. It scared this person who asked the question, so they decided, rather than really engaging this and their discomfort, it must be nonsense. And if I'm honest with you, this passage scares me too, because I think Jesus said it, and I think Jesus meant it literally. If he did, it really raises some tough questions for me about the way I'm living. And that's difficult. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus has a rather enigmatic conversation with someone who wants to follow him. This is the ninth chapter of the Gospel of Luke. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, Jesus said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. In this passage, the person who's been called by Jesus to follow him says, I will, but let me go home and bury my father first. To which Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. Now, Billy Graham has pointed out that the man is probably saying, my father isn't dead yet, but is old, and I don't know how much longer he will live. I'll stay with him until he dies, and then I'll come and join you and follow you. Which seems like a fair guess as to what's going on in this passage, but that's not what the words literally say or imply. 
Yet I don't know anyone of any tradition that believes Jesus thought that dead people would be helping in the burial of other dead people. Nobody that I know of interprets Jesus' saying, let the dead bury their own dead, as being something literal that we need to believe is going to be happening. I tell you about these two biblical passages because there are times, to me, in which either one form of biblical interpretation is the way to go, and other situations in which another form will work better. I ran across a wonderful quote from Madeline Lingle recently in which she said, I take the Bible too seriously to take it all literally. No single way of approaching the Bible is going to be sufficient for a book of such immense power. Yes, it seems to me that the Bible is too big and too powerful to leave to a single way of interpretation. Second, and this may be more difficult, I strongly urge you to read a passage of Scripture and ask yourself this question. What way of approaching this passage makes me the most uncomfortable? And then that's probably where you need to stay. You need to sit with that for a while. The problem with almost all Christians is that we want our reading of Scripture to start and end someplace that, well, is comfortable for us. The vast majority of all Christians of any political or theological persuasion begin and end their study of Scripture with this question. How can I use this book to get other people to behave the way I want them to? I think God genuinely intends us to read Scripture with a different question on our minds. The question is, how can I read this book in a way that helps me to be more of the person God wants me to be? One thing is certain, Jesus loved everyone he encountered. Another thing is certain, he tended to make all of them uncomfortable when he encountered them. When we encounter a story in Scripture that makes us uncomfortable, we should stay right there. Engage it and see what we can learn from our discomfort. And if you feel like you have a handle on Scripture and when you read it, it doesn't make you uncomfortable, well, I politely suggest that you aren't reading it carefully enough. For a long time, for me, the most troublesome passage in all of Scripture was, without a doubt, Genesis 22. You know, the passage where God tells Abraham to kill his son Isaac. This is a disturbing and terrifying passage, and a number of years ago, I decided to face my discomfort and work my way through this passage. I started in this place. What if this isn't an allegory? What if I approach this story as if it were to be taken literally? What could possibly be the meaning behind it? After a lot of work, a lot of sitting with the story, a lot of wrestling with it, I came to an interpretation that seemed right to me. I'm not saying it is the right interpretation. It was just right for me. And I'm not going to go into it here, but if you want to hear it, go check out episode 14 of my podcast entitled, Why Did God Tell Abraham to Kill His Son? I not only found something that made sense to me, but it spoke to me and offered something for me to learn. So here's my suggestion. Forget about adhering to a way of interpretation. Instead, read a passage of Scripture and then sit with it. Don't look it up. Don't turn to someone else's opinion. Just sit with it. What questions do you have? What makes you uncomfortable about this passage? Why are you uncomfortable? What if God is trying to speak to you through your discomfort.
allow yourself different ways of looking at the passage to find that place that makes you uneasy. And what this means is you will allow yourself both a literal and a figurative path as you encounter Scripture and seek the lesson it has for you and your life. That's all for today. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you get notified of future episodes. Also, you can find me on Facebook and YouTube. Just search for SkyPilot FaithQuest. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, my email address is dan at skypilot, S-K-Y-P-I-L-O-T dot zone. Dan at skypilot dot zone. I'd love to hear from you. On your spiritual journey, may you ask questions, seek answers, and boldly go wherever the quest takes you. Thanks for listening to SkyPilot FaithQuest. I invite you to send me a question or leave a review. And remember, the sign of a strong faith, solid religion, or healthy spiritual journey is not certainty, but that you keep asking questions. <laughs>